0: So when you kind of are growing up with that and your role model is the male, 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 male model in your life is, you know, short, cold, drunk and broke, you're thinking, I don't want to be that one. I don't want to be like that. Yeah. So if that meant me not becoming a dad, then that's what I was willing to do way back then. You know, I was like, you know what? I don't want this. And I certainly don't want the responsibility of having to bring up children and being like that, because you can only go on what you see, and you're going, like, well, if I'm going to end up like that, I don't want that. Of course, I don't want to end up like him, but the chances are you will as you grow up. So there's a very rebellious streak to me anyway, but I just didn't, I couldn't fathom the notion of having a little me running around, and that scared
1: me. No, you did have a father that was in your words an alcoholic and yeah. you had to work around that and that influenced your outlook and your decisions in the future but before we dive straight into that you mentioned the fact that in the past you never thought of yourself you know settling down as they were and even that settling down I think we need to digest I, I genuinely think people need to stop saying I'm settling down is I'm moving on or moving up because settling down I think is just almost a plateau of where you're going to life but talk to me about those fears of being a father that you had
0: well I think you've got to connect the two so you've got to connect my role model of a father to why I felt that way I don't know if we can move away from that okay. so when I was growing up with an alcoholic father and a drug addict but not he wasn't into heavy substance and speed ease trips LSD you know stuff like that he was so absent emotionally and physically. I mean, when, when, when I was growing up, my parents got divorced when I was six and that was a a period of time where being divorced wasn't cool. It wasn't in, it was like, Ooh, look, his parents are divorced. What a weirdo. It was that era. Right. So that'll give you an indication of how old I am, even though I look 21, I know. And because of that, and, and when he was present, he was moody. He was short. He was, you know, there was no emotional love. I felt that, he very much always preferred my brother, and my brother could do no wrong. I mean typical sibling things, but when that is your role model, and then you watch your mother working hard every single day to put food on the table um i didn't we didn't have a lot of money you know we, we were kind of on the poor side, but not like starving side, so we had enough, but not a lot and you know clothes were passed down, and it was that kind of a upbringing I had so when you kind of are growing up with that and your role model is The male role male male model in your life is, you know, short, cold, drunk, and broke. You're thinking, I don't want to be that one. I don't want to be like that. Yeah. So if that meant me not becoming a dad, then that's what I was willing to do way back then. You know, I was like, you know what? I don't want this. And I certainly don't want the responsibility of having to bring up children and being like that. Because You can only go on what you see and you're like, well, if I'm going to end up like that, I don't want that. Of course, I do not want to end up like him, but the chances are you will as you grow up. So there's a very rebellious streak to me anyway, but I just didn't, I couldn't fathom the notion of having a little me running around and that scared me. Yeah, look, now we're, we're really good friends. You know, he's in our lives. Uh, he's a great grandfather. I think, you know, it's that typical what you mess up with your kids, you make up with your grandchildren, right? Um, no, I did address that with my father. And when I was, uh, I'll never forget the day, it was when I was 15 that my mum answered the phone and she's like, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. One of those calls. And then she got off the phone and was like, oh, your dad's an alcoholic, he's gone into treatment. And so I remember that day, like you know like yesterday but what happened was of course he tried to while he was in treatment he'd send me letters and I would ignore them and he would get in touch and I wouldn't answer and I used to tell my friends my dad's dead and like what he die of and I'm like well he's not dead but he's dead to me but wait right, it's really interesting and then I sat there and I was uh, I think I was 17 and I was listening to a song by Pink Floyd uh wish you were here Right, some people might know it, some might not. But basically, the chorus is you know, we're we're two lost souls swinging, swimming in a fishbowl year after year. And I heard that that kind of that that sentence of like, Oh my god, that's me and dad. Are we are we forever gonna just be these lost souls? And this I'm 17, right? Just yeah. swimming in this, like I don't want that. So I reached out to him and I said, You know what? I think I'm I'm ready to see you, I'm ready to rebuild. And then we he sat me down. He was living in a in a one bedroom. Bed sit in Mill Hill in London and he sat me on the bed and he said you know this is me I'm clean for the first time in 30 years um I'd like to get to know you I'd like you to get to know me and I went all right and we started to rebuild from there but that doesn't mean I'd let go of not wanting to be a dad at that point I still was like I don't want this and that one for years I was like I don't want to be a dad I don't want to be a dad I want to be single. I'm never going to sell down, you know, and all that sell down, whatever language we want to use, I'm never going to be with someone permanently, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we did rebuild. It wasn't easy. We, we, rebuilt a good relationship. And I, you know, he did since then and always has looked out for me, but it took time. And I, I'm very open about it. in my book, power to succeed about our journey to forgiveness and our journey to becoming friends again and him being in my life and of course since then we fell out once more and not speak to him for a year again because i felt his he might have got rid of his alcoholic habits but he hadn't got rid of his his kind of disappointing habits so then i again for a year removed him from my life but since then it's it's back on and we're we're close again now
1: so you talked about the disappointing habit you just mentioned that now what was it because you said i understand you said growing up it was obviously the sibling issue where you feel that father or mother loves um, prefers this one or the other, but you still mentioned the disappointing habit as a as a grown adult. What, what yeah. was that about?
0: Well, it's it's you know for me, you know your word is your bond. I've always had that. That's one of my things. Like if you give me your word, and he broke his word too many times, and to me that's not acceptable. Just not with my dad. With everybody, like, but if you're my dad, obviously it's magnified. It's a typical. He said he would do something. He didn't. I laid the money out for it. He then wouldn't pay me. It's a very silly thing in the grand scheme of life, right? But at the moment, that's how I was reacted. I was like, do you know what? You've let me down too many times. I'm I'm done with you. And for a year, I didn't speak to him until I had, you know, until I grew up inside again. Until I let go of that annoyed, spoiled little kid inside of me. And I was just like, you know what? One day, the guy's gonna die. You know, I'm gonna have to bury him. I want to know that I gave everything I could to that relationship. So again, I kind of went back into that forgiveness place and we've rebuilt and he apologized as well himself. And he kind of walked into the typical gesture envelope with money in it to say, sorry. And I was like, you know, it's one of those almost like movie moments. And it's like, okay, wonder, you know, water on the bridge, let's just move forward. So yeah, I think it's one thing getting rid of an addiction. It's another thing, changing your behavior. So you, you, you become the best version of yourself and i think that's a conflict addicts have generally right so they might remove the addiction the physical addiction yeah. but building yourself your behavior to becoming the best version is is a tough one and i can never pretend to understand it because i'm not an addict and i think it took him a while to, to become the best version of himself he still has in my mind some issue he's always you know he's ill a lot and i think that's that's a effect of the addictions right but, you know, his heart now is in the right place. He loves the grandchildren and he's absolutely devastated they he can't see, him right, see them right now because of the lockdown. But when he could, he would come down every week to see them. And, you know, he'll never, you know, I'd never be able to sit down and have a pint with him or a beer with him, obviously, because of the addiction. And that makes me a little sad. Um, but what he is doing for the time right now is, is, is great. And I, and I wouldn't have any other way. I might, maybe if you made a few millions, I would be happy. To, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's just me being a bit greedy there. That's yeah. up to me to do anyway.
1: <laughs> well, it's, it is as long as there's happiness in it. I'm not a father yet, but I can relate to that yep. because my yeah. father, um, deb- not dabbled, but he was very much into his um, alcohol. And I, I remember growing up so many times because I was born and raised in Nigeria, many times staying up and we'd go to open the gate around 1am because that's when he's coming back. Oh yeah. And doing that so often, it kind of left me saying that I'll never touch an al- alcoholic drink. I promised myself I'll never touch it. I'll never touch it. I'll never touch it. And even growing up, it was almost like whenever I I think, what is it called, Bailey's? Even oh, yeah. people say, well, that's not really alcohol. That's a, a Christmas drink. But I couldn't <laughs> get myself to drink that.
0: It's interesting because, um, yeah, you know, I mean, typical, I think when I was very small, like 12 or 13, I got drunk, I was sick. And then I didn't drink for years and years, right? And obviously having an alcoholic father, I there were a few years I didn't drink at all. And then on my 18th birthday, typical, I had some drinks and got drunk. It's my 18th, right? And um, And then that kind of opened up the kind of my drinking side but I'm not a massive drinker of course I've been drunk in my time and not anti-alcohol I think everything is okay in moderation I think yeah we all go a little bit over the top sometimes but you know obviously it's 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 like anything if you're abusive around it then we have a problem but if everything in moderation is okay I mean I'm certainly not for like heroin and cocaine and I'm not advocating that but I've never taken drugs I've never taken any drugs at all and now I would outlast the people doing coke I'd have more energy and I'd more and they were like what are you on I'm like nothing probably Red Bull at the time right (laughs) and that's it but that's how I chose I choose to show up so I don't have like an anti relationship with any any of those things um because also you end up kind of becoming a preacher like a preachy uh, or yeah. you can alienate yourself and that's just not the course i've chosen i do know people and i've worked with people my clients who are extremely anti and that's who they are and that's who they want to be cool i just chose not to go down my, my brother drinks a lot you know he,
2: he does interesting said that okay
1: now let's touch on that because for me i uh, m- very clear disclaimer i'm not anti-alcohol at all it's just one of those things i actually worked um you're based in london so you know Charlton athletics football club yeah i used to work in a kiosk serving alcohol and alcoholic beverages it was i'm familiar i'm not against it my family during christmas festive seasons and whatnot we they have alcohol i just find my apple juice that looks like alcohol because it's got the sparkles <laughs> but what the reason why i brought that up is because touching upon to something my degree was in psychology and Mm -hmm. one of the stories that got me into doing a psychology degree was a story i heard from my teacher years ago now where she said that there was an example a long a longitudinal study done with two individuals where two boys grew up in a family in, in a family where their dad was an alcoholic and abusive now they they followed their journey for the next 20 years they found that that one ended up in jail alcoholic and in jail because he was abusive one ended up with a good family not really into not crazy about alcohol tasting it from time to time but a great father now the reason why i asked this is because when i heard that story i was thinking to myself well they went to the same schools they lived in the same house they probably had the same friends so how did that work out what was the cognition behind all of it now it's interesting you said that because you have come out on the right side and so many people unfortunately usually excuse it well what would you do because they asked those two participants why do you think you ended up this way and they had the same answer what would you do if your dad was an alcoholic and abusive same answer but different outcomes yeah well how would you say that because you you, you mentioned you had a, another brother how did that work out the pathways you took how did that kind of affect that
0: I think you have to examine as well you have to look at kind of the laws of polarity as well and the laws of balance yeah. and if you look at that then if one person is very outgoing in your family and very vibrant then it's often that the sibling is very quiet and reserved and if you take that notion then that's literally my brother and i were chalk and cheese i'm very outgoing i'm very warm i'm very emotional He's very reserved, very emotional, constipated and very quiet. He's very intelligent. Uh, you know, he's a very, very clever guy. He's just emotionally very reserved versus me. I'm very open. I talk about emotional. You ask me how you are and I'll give you a very long answer. You know, it's like I won't go. Oh, I'm OK. Of course, at times I've done that. But and I think because of that, and also I've been on a very long personal development. I've had a lot of you know, coaching and I've, I've really gone into myself and I've had a lot of mentors and uh, you know, I've delved, I dealt with my dad's alcoholism and I dealt with the sexual abuse I encountered when I was younger and I dealt with a lot of stuff that allows me now to be open and completely comfortable with who I am. While my brother, I don't think has ever really dealt with anything that's happened to him, right? He's taken it inside, you know, and he holds it there. And you know he's got he's got two beautiful kids. He's divorced. He's got a rocky relationship with his daughter. And I, you know, and I think this is just my opinion. Is is because his ability to express himself and his ability to deal is very different. I'm not saying better or worse. The mine. His coping strategy is to pull away, reserve, shut down, move on. Well, if I need to deal with something, I'll go and address it. So two years ago, I had really bad depression for months. Went to, I think this is in the same room we talked, right? Clubhouse, I think I mentioned. Went to spiritual healer for a change, you know, because that's what I was drawn to. She helped me out. And now I can talk about the depression very openly. Don't have any issues. So I think because of that, same family, different outcome. We're very different people as well. And we cope very different. So that's probably why we've ended up where we've ended up because the choices we've made in how we've coped with things have been fundamentally different and there's no right or wrong. I mean, of course I'd love him to live a different life and be a different person. But, you know, again, talking about, you know, brother relate, we we've never been close. There's no warmth between us. Ironically when we both started to support Arsenal is when we finally had something to talk about, you know, and when he had kids, we would talk about the kids, but there's no like, you know, there's no picking up the phone. Hey, I'm struggling. Can I talk to you about this? I've got this idea. It's very, very, you know, not superficial. It's very on the surface conversation with my brother. And that's just who he is, you know, there's no depth. I mean, there is depth to him, but he'll never open up to me. And again, I accept that. That's just the way it is. You know, that's, that's the level of warmth we'll get to. I mean, unless something happens, I don't know. He's already almost died. That hasn't changed him. So I just accept that that's the nature of our relationship.
1: When I started this podcast last year in April, I started it because I felt that maybe people weren't having enough of these conversations and the journey wasn't talked about. It was only when people arrived there that they then looked back. In hindsight yeah, say it's good, but it's dangerous. So the reason why I'm saying that is because that relationship you had with your brother or you have with your brother, I find myself sometimes feeling like, am I the only one that realizes that the, the relationship growing up affected me? Or was it just me that it affected And it's that conflict where for a long time I used to think to myself, well, maybe I'm not okay. Maybe I'm taking it too much. Maybe I'm being too emotional about everything that happened or didn't happen with my father. Now, it's interesting you said that you had to come to accept that. I am still finding that hard to accept because I genuinely feel that if I'm hurting this bad and you're not really addressing this, surely it's going to come back up sometime. How were you able to come to terms or how you... Getting
0: through that I think you get to the point where you know a I think you have to look at your expectations of the other person and accept that it's your expectations of them versus who they are or want to be. The other side to it is that if you don't come from a place of acceptance, you're the one holding the burning rock by expecting them to burn. And it's toxic, right? It's really, it will eat away at you. And then you get angry at how is it not eating away at them? But when you come to that place, and and I don't mean like sit there, kumbaya, hippie, it's all good, man. I mean, real deep acceptance. Then it, it, it actually opens up the space to heal. And what you end up doing is, almost sending them love and sending them kind of giving them that space to heal. And you find by letting it go, that things change. I'm not going to say suddenly like, Oh, they'll turn into that person you want them to be and everything be okay. But you just find there's a shift in the dynamic because you're not holding that, that burning rock anymore. And there's an allowingness. And by, by accepting things for what they are, of course, that's step number one in AA as well. Um, You know, when people, Go to recover from their alcoholism i just think it just allows you to detach and move forwards with your life so again if you're if you're not accepting you're the one that's dragging the rock not them you're the one going hey i've got all this stuff i'm carrying and it's your fault but you're carrying it you're still carrying it by accepting it you're going hey i've got this stuff i accept it's there i'm gonna deal with it i'm gonna let go of it but i know it's there you know So a lot of people that always talk to me and ask me, like often I talk about when I was 12, I was sexually abused by this guy. And they're like, how can you talk about it so openly? And how can you? It's because I accept what happened. It doesn't mean I like it. It doesn't mean that, you know, I'm like empowering the guy that did it, 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 you know, on the contrary, by dealing with it, I've taken any energetic, any power that guy had for doing it. It's this, you know, I've let go. I accept the situation. I accept that it happened. I accept I was powerless at the time. I accept that I only did what I could do at the time. And I, I let go. But it doesn't mean I don't acknowledge it's there. And that's the power of acceptance.
1: You see, that's, that's a powerful reflection of those events. And that's, that's a lot in those things that you said. Acceptance and also just understanding that you need to move on. And giving yourself the freedom to move
0: on. So my journey to becoming a man, you know, to me has evolved into being the best version of yourself daily. And I think it obviously now we're talking about fatherhood. It's the ability to to put yourself second, but not in a way that you've 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 relegated yourself. Oh, I don't matter. Oh, I'm being left out. It's like no. The well-being of our kids is important. I'm important, but I accept that my playlist on Spotify is going to be filled with Disney and that we're going to wake up to Sophia the first and, you know, and it's kind of going, yeah, sometimes you're kind of like, I just need my man cave. I just need to be a man. I just need to like, you know, whatever it is. I'm a big football fan. I just need to watch football. I just need to run. I just need to lie on the couch on Netflix, you know, but it's kind of the acceptance that you're you're no longer the center but it doesn't mean you've taken yourself out and removed yourself you know my beautiful girl ariel and my son elijah they're they're everything like because they're so vulnerable they're so powerful but yet so i don't mean weak as in you know but there's so so many things can happen to them that you are protecting and to me being a man is protecting your family, but not through masculinity or muscles. It's providing the safest environment possible for them. And that to me is what fatherhood is. And being a great partner to Emily, my beautiful wife and listening and being present to her. And that does mean dealing with a lot of stuff that goes in between our own six inches. Like there isn't a day that I'm not battling. Oh, and I have to kind of really sit back and go, what is that really about? Am I just being a bit of a prick right now or do I have a case? You know, do I really, is she, or is that just me being, you know, a stupid bloke? I, I don't mean the blokes a stupid. Do you know what I mean? But we're going to go through that, those, those battles. And, you know, being a father is the, as I said, it's the most rewarding and most challenging journey you're going to be on. And I think you have to accept that you're no longer number one, although in your kids' eyes, you're number one, your daddy. And, you know, but how you behave—it's about something far greater than you. It's something much bigger than you. And I think a lot of the breakdowns in in relationships and fatherhood and you know is when the the male really struggles with that—that that they're no longer important. And maybe it's an ego thing, maybe it's a confidence thing. I don't know because I don't know all the fathers and all the blokes in the world. But I feel all the breakdowns happen. And when Ariella came along, I really had to fight that whole. I don't matter anymore it's all about Ariella. oh i'm redundant We, you know we, we, i don't get the affection i used to get we're not having sex like we used to yeah like, all that stuff kicks in you're like oh i don't matter i just feel like a butler i'm just getting in the bottle and i'm doing this i'm just changing up blah, blah, blah. and you go through that but when you come out of that evolved and you've grown then you get that actually that's part of the beautiful process but that's where i think a lot of people struggle And, you know, you can feel very on your own, especially when kids come along. You can feel very isolated. You can feel very lonely. I can see why a lot of guys end up having affairs because, you know, the woman is so consumed by the kids and the baby. And, you know, they have very little left at the end of the day to be affectionate and sexy and this. And unless, again, you can accept that, you can then go look for it elsewhere. And I feel that's why a lot of guys end up having affairs as well. Well, I think that's a good question. I think, you know, I went for years of acting out. I've always had a bit of a defiant attitude anyway. So I've always had a bit of a watch me kind of way of being. Even back in school, I used to be so disruptive. But again, when I was in school, dyslexia wasn't well known. They just thought I was lazy. They just thought I was disruptive and I wouldn't read and I couldn't write. like i can't read any joint handwriting at all that just like script they look like lines to me i i I just can't but of course teachers couldn't comprehend that at the time because the awareness around dyslexia wasn't as high so of course in the early years my way of responding was acting out and i used to get into fights with teachers i used to swear at that you know you can imagine frustrated 16 17 18 year old and it wasn't until i went to uni that one of the one of the teachers actually went are you sure you're not dyslexic? I went, no, I can't be that. And I went, well, I'm going to send you for a test. And I did. And oh, you're dyslexic. So this was like, congratulations, you're dyslexic, right? Um, and suddenly things made sense. And from then, I just learned to tell people I'm dyslexic and I, I can't write or I need more time or I can't spell. And it's not because I'm making excuses I can't spell. I can't spell. Like, I feel some people say they're dyslexic and they just can't spell versus you know us the can are dyslexic and really can't spell but that's another matter and I just learned to kind of tell people and again I just accept it and I just accept that it's in a way it's a gift it allows me to see things differently to think differently I'm, I'm not visual at all I'm auditory for me I listen to things I I don't see things. so I've got my content girl in my company. She's going, can't you see the difference of the colors? And I'm like, no, can't you see that's out of place. I'm like, no, I'm not visual. My wife's very visual. She's like, like posting notes everywhere. I'm like, no, I need words and I like to hear things. So for me, it was just about, again, being able to express myself and tell people and, and not attribute any judgment to it, right? It wasn't about me going, oh, poor me. I'm dyslexic. It's like, look, I'm dyslexic. Like, hey, I, I, you know, I like any other thing that someone might have. I can't think of one right now, but you know, I wear trousers. I'm dyslexic. It kind of became that.
1: Now that takes me on to the next point, because this is an area where I'm sure you've you've probably spoken to a lot of people, the area of mental health. Yeah, area of mental health. And unfortunately, I find it puzzling the fact that irrespective of the fact that there's more awareness around mental health, there's still that stigma that's almost still rising alongside that awareness. So how are you able to decide or come to the self-awareness that I need to get help?
0: Yeah, it's a good question for me. So for months, I never forget it It was my 42nd birthday and I woke up and I felt really hollow, really empty. And we had a lovely day. So there's nothing wrong. There was no reason. There was not like, oh, I just lost my business. Oh, this like business was doing okay. I had a beautiful girl, great relationship. And I just felt really, really hollow. And I thought I'd got over it. And I even wrote this blog about it on my own website. I'm like, I've got this, I've got the tools. And it just wouldn't go away. It just, and again, it kept getting darker and darker in my mind, my thoughts. There were some suicidal thoughts. There was the whole, what if I end it? Would anyone care? Anyway, so that went on for months. And I remember I was on a train at the time I lived in Woking. And I was on the train to Waterloo. And I just sat there and I was listening to prayer songs, any prayer songs, gospel, Jewish. I was just like looking on Spotify for prayer music. And I, and I got off the train and I was like, that is my soul screaming at me, like sort this out. Right. And that's when I knew like that was my moment of going either I jump in front of a train or I sort this out. And I wasn't ready to jump in front of a train to be completely honest. Yeah. but I knew something had to change and I just sent my friend a message and um, she's in the spiritual space. I can't even tell her what we did in the sessions. And I was like, I sent this long like, and sometimes I look back on it really long WhatsApp on what's going on in my mind. And typically like a spiritual teacher that she, she went, I've been waiting for you. <laughs> and I was like, what? Well, <laughs> if you've been waiting, why didn't you reach out? Keep Cause up. you had to be ready. I was like, Oh God. You know, anyway, so I worked with her and she's amazing. Again, I can't tell you what we actually did in the sessions. Lots of forgiveness, lots of practicing forgiveness, lots of asking for forgiveness, lots of letting go to the higher powers that be. And then a few months later, I I knew I was, I was, I was okay again. I was able to actually tell Emily what's been going on with me. My wife's called Emily, by the way. And I, then I changed one of my businesses. I started to close one of my businesses down because it wasn't aligned with who I was. post-depression and so and then from then i was like you know what i'm gonna speak up about mental health i'm gonna do what i can i mean i'm not a big like mental health like campaigner but i will always provide the platform to help people's mental health i ran a mental health summit last year and i gained nothing from it i didn't gain any money i didn't even gain the contacts nothing i just put it on provided the space for people that need it and and did it that way um and i think that's what needs to be done and I think for anyone and I've interviewed people like one of my best friends, he's on national radio, he talks a lot about mental health and I interviewed him about it and I think that for anyone listening that is struggling with their mental health if if you can't focus on anything else is focusing on knowing that when you come out of it, you can talk about you came out of it right if just focus on the immediacy of dealing with it, not I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that um and, you know, maybe the whole purpose is for you just to beat the mental health issues you're challenging right now. And that's a really interesting way of looking at it. Cause Wyatt, the guy I was talking about, he's the one that kind of said, Look, when I, cause he has terrible mental health challenges and he's very open about them. And when he goes, when he has an episode, he goes, I just know the coming out of it is my purpose. And that's what I focus on. And I just think that people, a bit like dyslexia, a bit like anything, need to, as much as they can, let go of the judgment of asking for help and, and just express yourself in whatever it means it is to whoever it is, you know, lack of expression is what creates depression. And if you can find an outlet for that, whatever, and you know, again, why it says this is you can email me, you can Facebook me, I don't take screenshots, it doesn't go anywhere, And I think it's just finding somewhere where you can express yourself and being okay with it and being okay that it's a jumble and being okay it doesn't make sense and being okay that, you know, you're feeling the way you are. Because I think part of the challenge with mental health is when you're suffering, there's a huge amount of judgment you place on yourself because you're suffering. And I went through that, right? Um, And... Because I was like, look, I've got the tools. I mean, I've trained as a coach. I've done cognitive behavioral hypnotherapy. Like, I've done all these. Why am I here? Well, because I'm a human being. You're a human being, right? doesn't matter what you've been trained at. You know, plenty of elite athletes suffer from depression. Plenty of comedians suffer from depression. And they're really funny. So they should be happy all the time, right? Not the case. You know what I mean? You're human first. And we have to allow the human experience to to surface. Because if we don't, then it, it does lead to dark places.
2: There are two questions I'm really anxious to ask you about, um, and this is for the listeners: Give I'd like you to. What advice would you give to young men that are still on their journey to fatherhood? And then a the second question on the back of that would be: What advice would you give to existing fathers in terms of dealing with fatherhood?
0: Yeah, I mean, again, I just for a disclaimer, want to say this is just my opinion, okay, people. So <laughs> listening to this, this isn't, I'm not a fatherhood expert. But here's what I say to people, you know, because you and I connected over Clubhouse and, and you said that some people question whether I can be a father, you know, why am I running a podcast if I'm not a dad? And I said, well, because you're assimilating as much information as you can. So when you are a dad, you can be the best dad you can possibly be, right? And I think that's it, you know, for those people becoming a father, my biggest kind of advice or suggestion is, let, let's really deal with our stuff. Let's like put the time and the effort and deal with it. Whatever's going on in our minds, whatever's happened in our past, whatever traumas we have, let's do the best to deal with it. So when the days come and you are the father, you can be the best version of yourself. So that would be my first advice. And it's not going to be easy, but it will be worth it. I will say that. So Karen dads, I would say it's it's very similar, but in the sense of, you know, let's know our place let's embrace our place and let's be a great example to our kids let's really show them the way but in an empowering way we we all know it's a it's a tough and challenging life but let's provide the safest experience and environment for our kids to 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 go through that and i don't mean you know protect them collie wobble them rob them in common i'm not saying about that you know When my kids need to fall, I let them fall and then I'm there to help them get out. I don't stop them from falling, so to speak. Obviously, if they're going to fall off a cliff, I'll stop them. But they're going to fall and bang themselves, they need to learn that. That's kind of my approach, right? If my son needs to learn to climb, I'm not going to push him up the bum. He needs to struggle to get up there. But behind that is a very safe environment, is my point. And I think if every father could just aim to be the best version of themselves of every single day, then I feel kids would be a lot better and whatever that means to you. And that's all I ask. I mean, that's kind of my advice. And I think as dads, we're challenged every single day, who we are, our existence, our boundaries, our our patience. But I think also we need to focus at the end of that lies something very beautiful and to remember that as well. That's
2: excellent. Um, And before we, before we, before we end the show, I just wanted you to, how
0: can people get in touch with Elliot K? Cool. Thank you. I mean, there's, there's the, the it's interesting because very few people get in touch with me about fatherhood. But everybody's, you know, again, I'm an open book. If you want to talk about mental health, you want to ask me about anything I discussed here or about anything else I do. So very welcome to reach out via the, the grams, the Instagrams. I've got three. Um, Would they be at the bottom there? I'll, I'll send them across yeah. to you. But, you know if you kind of want an insight into my world it's i am elliot K E W L I O T K A Y. you got my kids on there my running on there and then there's the professional ones which i'll send to you otherwise feel free to send me an email which is hello at speaker um reach out to me however you feel I'll, I'll gladly listen if you reach out to me about something confidential it will stay confidential i won't be like look at this email i got right um and I just hope this helps your listeners more than anything. And, and that's why I wanted to really support you and your podcast. So if I never hear from anyone, I'm okay with that too.
2: You've definitely been hearing from me for sure. <laughs> I want to say thank you. I know you've got a meeting to get to, but it's been an absolute pleasure. And I think I think another big takeaway from me is that sentence. I don't know if you've coined it before, but lack of expression can lead to depression. think. It's amazing, and thank you for being so transparent. I think that's what's made us so wonderful. Thank you for thank time you time and being amazing. thank
0: you for inviting me.
2: Absolutely, enjoy the rest of your day and your meetings to
0: You too. Take care. Be in touch soon. Absolutely. See you later. Bye.